in some ways, much of what we call unexpected could have been expected. We started there last week. Uh, that was sort of sort of our launching point. Is many of the, many of the things that we say are unexpected are often just inconvenient or bad timing, not necessarily unexpected. However, there is a difference in knowing that that's true. For example, knowing that um, difficult things happen to everyone, or or, or know, intellectually knowing that bad things happen to good people, knowing that I, I really shouldn't expect to go all the way through my life without having some struggles. It's one thing to know that intellectually, and it's a different thing to actually experience it. Like when it is actually you, when it's your time to go through difficulties. I, I can know that everybody experiences pain or struggles, but it's different when it's my name that's used in the same sentence with the word cancer or the word laid off or fired or when it's, when it's my name used in a sentence that has the word stage three or stage four in them. It happens to everybody. I know that intellectually. It just feels different when it's me. When it's my name in the obituary for a family member and it's my loved one's name and picture at the top of the article. It just feels different because this time it's me. And I can know intellectually that everybody goes through this sort of thing. But it just feels different when it's my turn. And in some ways it is different. Because we all have unique experiences and backgrounds and unique relationships and unique timing. In some ways it is very unique even though it might could be expected that we're all going to go through struggles when it's actually my time to go through those, it's different because it's me. When it's your time, it's different because it's you. It's landed in your world. It's landed in your marriage or your relationship or your kids. It's shown up at your front door. In the New Testament... Uh, we, we meet a guy by the name of Paul. We talk about him often, and I introduce him often. Uh, one of the reasons is he wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. So if we jump over into the New Testament, there's a really good chance we're going to land on something that Paul said. Paul wasn't one of Jesus' original disciples. He has a dramatic encounter and transformation of his life after Jesus has lived and died and risen again and gone back to heaven. Paul becomes a missionary, becomes a pastor, he becomes a mentor to younger pastors. <clears throat> Due to the incredible effectiveness that Paul had, the way that God chose to use Paul and, and the, the fruit that was produced in Paul's ministry, often there were people who tried to criticize Paul. They tried to be really negative about who he was, or what he said, or what his experiences were, or, or the skills that he lacked, or he wasn't really fit to be in that position. You really shouldn't follow him. And 
I think what was what was hard to take is that m- most of the time these attacks came from other religious people. Other people who claim to follow God, which should probably be its own series at some point. That's part of the struggle that Paul faced is these are other people who are claiming to love God and yet they're directing their attacks at me. Second Corinthians, again, over in the New Testament, halfway through or so. Second Corinthians 11 and 12, which is what we're going to be reading today, is one of those spots Paul is dealing with an attack from a group of religious people who are attacking his unworthiness to be the leader, his lack of skill, his lack of specifically spiritual experiences that they claim they've had. And they say, look, Paul, he hasn't had these experiences. We have. You should listen to us. You should follow us and not Follow Paul. At one point in his defense, in 2 Corinthians 11.5, Paul says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. Paul does not want to spend time on this, but for the sake of the people that he's trying to help, he's having to defend himself and say, look, I, I am not somehow below these people that you have, have gotten all of your attention. Paul, Paul knew that the Corinthians were wowed by the sensational. Like if somebody could come along and tell some sensational spiritual story, this crazy thing happened to me. God did this unreal thing to me that the Corinthians were like, oh, tell us more, tell us more. You must be a great leader. Paul Paul knew there was this tendency to believe the sensational over just the steady, faithful teaching of God's word. So these people come along and they say, we, We've had this crazy experience. Paul's never had that. So in chapter 12, Paul, almost embarrassed, says, Okay, if you need a crazy story, I'll give you a crazy story. And this is how he starts in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. In other words, this is kind of a waste of time. This is not what I want to be talking about. But you seem to be hung up on these sensational stories. So I'm going to humor you for just a minute. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. But Paul is so embarrassed by this line of argument that he speaks in third person. He won't even say, hey, that was me. He says, there was an event 14 years ago. Let me just give you the bare details. This person went up to heaven. I don't know if he actually literally went up or if it was a vision or he was out of his body. I don't really know. God knows how that happened. Verse 3, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And again, Paul's hesitant to talk about this because because Paul's not into the sensational. He wants to teach. He wants to help mature the people who are worshiping in Corinth. But he says there was this thing that happened. It's a long time ago 
caught up into heaven, saw things, heard things that I'm not even allowed to say, inexpressible things that I'm not supposed to tell you. And then he says in verse 5, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. I'm not going to go on and on trying to impress you. If that's what you need, you're not going to get that from me. That's not what I want to talk about. Here's what I want to talk to you about, and it's not glamorous. It won't make me famous, but I want to talk about my struggles. We are very much, I think, a, a celebrity culture. Like We love fame. We love celebrity as a culture. Maybe not you individually, but... As a culture, we are drawn to fame and getting famous quickly and being known and clicks and likes and Insta-famous. I, um, I did just a quick Google search on this topic. This is the first page of my Google search, a couple of articles that came up. New data reveals just how desperately millennials want to be famous. New data reveals just how desperately. Millennials want to be famous. Millennials, by the way, born from 1981 to 1996. I'm, I, I don't criticize millennials. Uh, that's not my thing. I know that is for a lot of people. I, I, I don't bash millennials all the time. This is just what showed up in my search. Desperately want to be famous. One in four millennials would quit their job to be famous. Another article, front page. Why are young people so obsessed with being famous? Another argument, not just millennials, even the generation below them. Studies show that children just want to be famous. Read through this article. There was a survey of kids 6 to 17, ages 6 to 17. They found their number one career choice was YouTuber. Not lawyer, nurse, doctor, teacher. YouTuber, number one choice. You know what number two choice Vlogger, video blogger. Number two choice, ages 6 to 17. I want people to know me. I want to be famous. Still, first page of my Google search, this helpful uh, article also appeared. Get internet famous overnight. We'll teach you step by step. Just click on it. Small fee. It will teach you how to get insta-famous Overnight, And then maybe the most helpful of all the articles by the New York Post was, you are not going to be famous, all caps. Hey, we have this obsession with fame. How do I get known? It kind of started with reality television, right? It was sort of this quick way, if I could, if I could get on Survivor, if I could get on reality television, I could get famous and then... Social media rolls in and YouTube rolls in and vlogging and blogging roll in and monetizing social media rolls in. And there is this draw to the sensational. There is this draw to the famous. We even do it in church. I mean, we do it in church. <clears throat> and, and hear what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, I am grateful that we have access to, to 
lots of pastors and teachers via the internet and, and video and podcasts. And I'm grateful for what I learn from them. I do, have, I do have a bit of a fear in our Christian culture that some are substituting pastors thousands of miles away that they can stream and download and podcast for real community and real connection and real people. It's just a concern of mine for the church going forward. I, I think the internet and technology has wonderful means of advancing the gospel and advancing the messages of God's Word. I'm concerned that sometimes the podcast world that we live in, the, the book world, the, the YouTube world, the downloadable world we live in has caused us to substitute celebrity for real Christian community. Because when our world falls apart... The podcaster doesn't know to pray for us. And the, the pastor that we streamed doesn't know our kids since they were young and is invested in mentoring and helping them. And the opposite is true, too. We don't really know that pastor. We know his book. We, we know her podcast. We, we know their YouTube channel. And there may be wonderful, great content there, but we don't know them, and they don't know us. And you, and, and you may be tempted to say, Ken, I think you're just jealous because that's not you. And you're probably right. I probably am jealous that that's not me. But I read Paul's words, and I see such a humility in Paul to say, it's not the fame, it's not the celebrity. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to sensationalize my life. I'm just I'm trying to be real with you about me. I, I'm trying to talk with you because I know you, and you know me, and we know what's happening in each other's lives. Here's what I think is true. When life is great... We can worship celebrity, but when life gets hard, we gravitate towards people who say, I'm just like you. I mean, think about your life. When everything's great and we're kind of pumped up, then, then yes, celebrity and fame and millions of books and big audiences is wonderful. When I'm hurting, I want somebody who will look me in the eye and say, I I've hurt too. Maybe not exactly the way you do, but... I know you, I love you, I love your family, I'm, I'm weak too, I struggle too. And, and Paul starts out chapter 12 by saying, look, I, I could tell you all of these sensational things that would probably wow you, they would impress you, but what I really want to tell you is I hurt just like you hurt. And I struggle sometimes exactly the way you struggle. And I have weaknesses in my life just like you have weaknesses in your life. And I think we can connect on the weakness level and we can discover more things about God. Um, I mean, just to prove my point, how, how many of you connect with Paul's vision of heaven? Anybody else? You went to heaven either in your body or out of your body and you heard things that you can't tell us, a big secret, inexpressible things you can't even put in words and you came back and you're sitting here going, yep, I'm just like Paul. How many of you, that's you? Not a single, nobody. How many of you, like Paul, 
would say, I've had weaknesses before. I've hurt before. I've been broken before. I've struck. Yeah. That's what Paul's saying. Be careful to get so enamored with celebrity and sensational because what connects us is our weaknesses. He says it in the next verse, or or, or back in uh, chapter 11, verse 30. If I must boast, if that's what I got to do, if I must boast, if I've got to talk about something, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. Both of the things that show my weakness. It's interesting. Paul wasn't interested in cherry picking his finest moments in any, in any of his writings, certainly not here. Fourteen years ago, this thing happened. I don't really want to talk about it. Paul doesn't then go, and then five years ago, this really cool thing happened. And then like two years ago, and then about ten years ago, this thing Paul doesn't roll through his life picking out his finest moments and saying, hey, look at me. Let me tell you a story. Because sometimes we do that. And, 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 and on the one hand, we all want to be liked and loved and appreciated. And that's normal and natural and human. But if we're not careful, we walk through our life always giving our resume, trying to impress people. Always trying to say, hey, you know, I did this one time. Hey, I was in this church one time, and I did this thing, and this thing happened, and it was cool, and it was... If we're not careful, we go through our life living up here above everybody else where no one else can relate, and it doesn't seem real. I don't mean we make things up. I just... I think the authentic connection is when we're all able to admit everything's not perfect. Everything's not okay. There's hurt and weakness and struggle in all of us. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, because this is how I'm, I'm going to talk to you, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. A couple thoughts. Um, One is the presence of the unexpected in our lives when it happens. The presence of the unexpected is not a measure of spirituality or faith. It's not a barometer of whether you're faithfully walking with God or not, and I would encourage you not to use it as that. When you face pain and hurt and loss, and not only the unexpected, but maybe the unexplainable, maybe you don't even know how this got in your life or where this came from. I would encourage you not to read that as some sort of measurement of your faith, because sometimes we, we try to do that. Well, if, if I, wow, if I had just gone to church more, if I just gave more money, if I just, if I just prayed a little bit more, if I were just a little more faithful. Listen, if anybody could avoid struggle because of their faithfulness, it's the guy that wrote 2 Corinthians 12. This guy was a pastor and a church planner and a missionary. 
Like he sacrificed everything, gave up his body, gave up his life eventually. If anybody could avoid struggles because they were so faithful, it would have been Paul. His weaknesses that he writes about, they're not some measure of the fact that he's failed in his faith. And I would say the opposite is true too. And before you argue, just let it settle for a little bit. And we can argue sometime next week about this. I also don't think that struggles come into your life because you're so faithful. I I, I don't really believe that God's allowed struggles into your life because He knew you could handle it. He knew that you could handle this valley. I know it sort of makes us feel good, maybe. Maybe somebody has said that to you. Maybe you've said that to somebody. It sort of makes us feel good. Okay, God, trust me with this. Okay, God. I just, I don't think it's true. I think, the rain, I think it rains on the just and the unjust. I think life happens to all of us. And for good or bad, my great faith or my little faith, the, the pain that I'm going through is not somehow a measure that I don't have enough faith or I have a whole lot of faith. They're consequent. Yes, they're consequent. I make a bad decision and they're a consequence. If I'm honest, I can usually draw a straight line between those two. I'm not talking about consequences. I'm talking about tragedy and hurt and loss that enters into our life, not because you're a bad Christian and not because you're a great Christian, because you're alive in a broken world. And those things come into our lives. Another thought about Paul's experience. Pain, although it doesn't measure our spirituality, pain's never without a purpose. God is always accomplishing in the unexpected. God is always working in the pain, in the hurt, in the journey. God is always doing something. Now, for Paul, he was very aware of what this was doing in him. There was a humbling effect that was happening in him, and Paul received that, and Paul acknowledged that. This is dealing with some issues of pride in my life. Paul had a very clear idea of what the purpose was. You and I don't always have that clear of an idea. Certainly when we're in the middle of our struggle, we're not always going, oh, this is supposed to teach me A, B, and C. So sometimes it can be that clear. Most of the time it's not. And, and if we're really honest, even on the other side, it's not always real clear. It, it's not always crystal clear that that's what I was supposed to learn. But having said that, pain is not random. Weakness, struggles, hurt. It's not, ran, it's not chaotic. It's not just randomly happening and I just happen to walk into it. God is always redeeming the pain in our life. God is always at work in that. God is growing and maturing and preparing us, oftentimes preparing us for something that's going to come later. Or we're going to need the resources we gained in this trial for that trial. We're going to need what we learned in this trial to shepherd somebody else through their trial. There is a preparing, there is a purpose. Paul calls his... A thorn in the flesh, 
And we don't know what that means. We don't know specifically what it was. A lot of guesses. Uh, a lot of people have an idea. We don't know what it was. Paul doesn't say what it was. We don't even know if it was a physical ailment, which it very well could have been. We don't know if it was an emotional ailment, some sort of discouragement and depression that Paul often went through, perhaps. We don't know if it was a spiritual attack. We, we, all we know is Paul's little metaphor, it was this sharp, painful issue in my life that was there all the time, and it wore me out, and it wouldn't go away. And I was exhausted sometimes because I'd get up, and it was there. I go to bed and it was there, and I get up and it was there. It was every day. And of course, I'm so grateful he didn't tell us what it was. Because if he had told us what it was, I would read chapter 12 and go, Well, that didn't happen to me, so I'm going to chapter 13. And and you would too. Some part of your brain would go, Well, I don't have that problem. So I'm going to move on. Paul just said, there is a pain, there is a hurt, and it's all the time, and it's every day, and it wears me out sometimes. Maybe you've had a pain like that too. Maybe the title of our pain is different. Maybe the description is different. But we carry those. And Paul, the greatest church planner ever, greatest missionary ever, launching the gospel of Jesus outside of the Jewish circle and the nation of Israel, carrying the gospel to new places, Paul said, I've been worn out too. I've struggled too. Another thought. There is an inevitable theological tension in our pain. Can we just say that here in church? There is an inevitable theological tension in our pain. When we really struggle, when the worst has stepped into our lives, come on, we, we all struggle with some big questions. Paul says that this thorn, whatever it was, it was given to him. It was given Then he says, it was a messenger of Satan. Then, next verse, he says, I prayed it go away. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And God, apparently, who could have taken it away. Paul believed that God could take this away. God did not take it away. And wrapped up in those couple of verses... Are most of the tensions that we feel when we hurt. On the one hand, it's right and it's understandable to ask God to take it away. It's right, it's understandable, it's good to pray again and again as Paul did. God, would you take this away? Would you heal? Would you fix? Would you change? Would you turn the heart? Would you rescue? Jesus did it. We just come through Easter. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays three times, just like Paul says. Jesus prays three times. Let this cup pass from me. 
Yep, Paul. After consistent prayer, Paul has settled that the answer from God is, this isn't going away. Not in the way that you want it to go away. This isn't going away. God could take it away. But Paul had come to the place where he had accepted this isn't going away. Paul said this was given to him. Almost certainly, Paul means it was given to him by God. And if you don't wrestle with that, you don't think very deeply about your faith. This came, somehow, this came through God. God could have prevented this, and He allowed this. At the same time, it's a messenger of Satan. We're in a fallen world. We're in a broken world. Sin has disrupted the perfection of this world. Satan, the enemy, is given a measure of freedom in this world. Satan is at work. Brokenness is at work in the world. But I can't deny God could prevent all of that, and he didn't. He allowed this, and then I asked him to fix it, and he didn't fix it. All of that wrapped up in one big theological tension. That Paul's not only wrestling with, but we wrestle with. We wrestle with. And if you haven't wrestled with it yet, you're going to. The only reason you haven't wrestled with it yet is because nothing big has come into your life yet, but it's coming. You're standing on the tracks with the rest of us, and it's coming at some point. And you're going to go, God, you allowed this. Like this had to come through you. Even though the world's messed up, You could have, you can respond to my prayer, and you're not. And we sit in the same tension that Paul sits in. And I I wish, I wish on April 28th, 2019, the Sunday after, I wish I could untie that knot for you and make it all make sense. I wish I could explain all of where it came from and how it got and why it's not going away. I I wish I could unravel the tension. But God didn't unravel the tension for Paul. And Paul didn't unravel the tension for us. God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's it. That's all Paul got. Grace is enough. God gives power and weakness. Grace is enough. God gives power and weakness. But God, how did this come through? Grace is enough. How much of this is the fallen world and how much of this is you saying grace is enough? God gives us power and weakness. God, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it's not going anywhere. Grace is enough. God gives power and weakness. That's the only unraveling we have. And in our pain, we choose to trust the goodness of God. Paul says in verse 9, Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that... Christ's power may rest 
on me. Not so that everybody will see how strong I am. Not so that everybody will say, well, obviously God could trust you with that problem because look how you're doing. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not strong and I don't have power and I don't have answers and I can't handle this apart from the grace of God and the power of Christ resting on me. That's it. That's the only way I keep walking. That's the only way I keep trusting. Because the power of Christ took over because I was too weak. And I couldn't handle it. This is the big difference between celebrity and suffering. Celebrity points to me. Suffering points to God. I think that's why Paul was so emphatic. I'm not going to brag about that stuff because that just points to me. That makes you think something of me. I'm going to tell you that I'm weak so that you'll know the strength's coming from God and you'll turn to Him. You'll realize I, I don't have anything to offer you apart from the power and the grace of God. And, and Paul knew that this pain in his life served to point people back to God. Not to point to his strength because he doesn't have any. And not to point to your strength when you walk through difficulties because you don't have enough of it. But to point people to the God who's resting his strength on us. So we have to ask, when we walk through the unexpected, when we walk through the difficulties of life, how does God want this? How does God want my life to point to him in the unexpected? Not that you figured it all out. Not that you're okay with it. That's not what we're saying. Because some of us walk through things and it's hard to get okay with it. But God, it's here every day. And I want somehow the strength that you're giving me to get from day to day. I want people to see that and look to you. This is a chance for me to say, my faith in God, my trust in God is not contingent upon everything going great in my life. My commitment to the things of God, it's not contingent on my personal success or my economic success or my health. I don't just turn to God when everything's perfect in my life. This is my opportunity to show the people around me that in the hardest of circumstances, He's still the one I trust. He's still the one I hope in. And His is the grace and the strength that I most need. I don't know how to get to this next point. I don't have a one, two, three, but listen to what Paul says next in verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, 
in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I don't want to treat that verse flippantly. I don't don't want to make that one of those crochet on the wall verses. That's a tough step to make. Paul says, I've lived long enough now. I've had enough hurt in my life. I've seen God work His purpose in it, even if I didn't understand it. I've seen Him work His purpose. I've seen Him point people to Jesus through my weaknesses. And I got to the point where I delight in my weaknesses. Um, The psalmist says something very similar. Psalm 119.71. This is the psalmist. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Again, let's don't put that on the bumper sticker. Let's don't write that off as, well, that's nice. The psalmist, like Paul, got to a place where he said, it was, it was good, the pain that I felt. Because God did something in me that I couldn't do in myself. I was weak and I experienced His strength in a way that I would never have experienced before. I delight in my weaknesses. For Paul, what authenticated his faith, what authenticated him as a leader, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, was not the sensational. It was not anything you would put on Instagram It was not any video you'd put on YouTube. What authenticated his faith was not the sensational. It was the pain that he had endured and the strength that he had received from Jesus. Much of which we probably don't even know about. We probably don't even have descriptions of. But Paul knew Jesus was with him. The grace of God was empowering him. And it's still true today. It's still true today. What authenticates our lives as followers of Jesus is not going to be the sensational. It's going to be our ability to receive hurt and brokenness as we receive grace and power at the same time. Let's pray. God, none of us sign up for brokenness and sorrow and tragedy. Not a one of us. Nobody's wanting to run out of here today and find some. But the unexpected finds us. Through your allowing, through your sovereignty, through the brokenness of the world, however all of that works, it finds us.
God, God, help us not to be in such a pursuit of being known and being celebrated, being patted on the back, that our life is just this ongoing resume of our greatest highlights. And what people want, where people will see the work of God is when we say, you know, really, I'm just like you. And I'm weak sometimes. And I hurt sometimes. And somehow the grace of God and the power of Christ is enough. Thank you for your goodness in our pain. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.